Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Hello and welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I am Natalie So. Up today on Taiwan Today, I interview a notable Japanese-American painter, Makoto Fujimara. And on Live from Taipei, we hear from the live performance scene. But first, join us for Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Friday, November 2nd. And in the studio, we have Shirley Lin. Hi, Natalie. Jake Chen. Hello. And I am Natalie So. We'll be talking about why Taiwan is one of the best places in the world to be an atheist. Also, the latest news about teens and their cell phones. And uh, also, two notable Taiwan photographers. Uh, we'll be talking about them as well. Stay tuned. Okay, so this is kind of interesting uh, headline. One of the best places to be an atheist. <laughs> and that's kind of interesting because I, I think people, a lot of people in Taiwan do have a religious belief, whether it's Taoism or Buddhism or Christianity. or mm. Now, why? What kind of um, criteria does it have for this ranking? Okay. Well, this is according to the International Humanist and Ethical Union. And this organization, I believe, is uh, based in New York. And uh, they released the Freedom of Thought Report 2018 on October 29th, uh, Monday. Um, basically, Taiwan received the top score along with Belgium and Netherlands as uh, free and fair in terms of systematic restrictions on those who lack religious beliefs in four categories, and those four categories are constitution and government, education and children's rights, society and community, and expression and advocacy of humanist values. Basically, it's saying that Taiwan is one of the best places in the world to live as an atheist. Now, the same report also includes for the first time complete country rankings of discrimination against atheists. And basically, the report's methodology is based on verifiable laws and statements from leaders, The results were formed by looking for structural interference by religious groups in the legal system, provision of government services, and restrictions on freedom of expression. So let's look at the uh, the 10 best countries to live as an atheist uh, from 1 to 10. Well, do you guys want to guess which is the first one? <laughs> for atheists? Over in, in Europe. Northern yeah. Europe Just somewhere? In the hint. Yes. Norway or something? Sweden? Or or? Netherlands? Oh, yeah, Norway is up there. It's, it's in eighth place. Well, Netherlands is second place. Well, oh, anyway. Amsterdam's. Actually, I already said that, right? Because Belgium is number one, and two is Netherlands, uh -huh. and three is Taiwan. Fourth place is France, and mm. fifth place is Japan. Uh, sixth is Nauru, right in the Pacific. It's a very, very tiny little island. You can't really <laughs> see it. And uh, seventh place is Sao Tome and Principe. Eighth is Norway. Ninth is U.S. And tenth is St. Kitts and Nevis. We are, A lot of know, our allies are there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nauru and... <laughs> So. Right, St. Kitts and Nevis. Then the 10 worst countries to live as an atheist. Can you guys guess? <laughs> First one? Uh, North Korea. Those, I don't um, I'm sorry, I, I think it's actually, fine. I think it's fine <laughs> being an atheist in North Korea. Um, um, actually, no, not North Korea in, in the list of 10, but first one is Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And oh, then uh, two is Iran. 
Uh, third so there place Islam is, countries, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then third place, Afghanistan. Four is Maldives. Then Pakistan, United Arab Emirates, Mauritania, Malaysia in eighth place, and ninth place is Sudan, and ten is Brunei. Mm. So mostly Islamic countries, huh? They, yeah, they can't seems, stand for people not believing in God, right. huh? Right. Interesting. They only allow one religion, I guess, you know, in the country or something so, like that. So, I mean, do you guys feel that um, your beliefs or lack of a belief, whatever it is, uh, affects anything in your in your career or your social life? Or well, let me put Taiwan. it this way. I yeah. think that as an atheist, you know, people respect you for whatever your belief is, you know. I think people are open-minded in Taiwan, right? I think yeah. the whole point is that you're not discriminated against no, right. for whether you believe or not believe in a god. Yeah, right. there's a big freedom here in Taiwan, right. religious-wise, and other areas as it's well. It's not like it's promoting atheism. It's just that right. you can live without any um, discrimination, any, mm-hmm. bias against you. If I really had to, I mean, overall, I feel, you know, I, I'm an atheist myself, and overall, it, it feels great. If I really had to nitpick and complain once in a while, I mean, the, the people who try to uh, convince me to join one of their churches on the road, it's just way too persistent. You know, it's like, I respect your belief, but I'm really not, you know, a fan hmm. of it. And they just kept on talking. How right. does it compare with China and um, Canada? Um, like, uh, nobody really convinced you to join anything in China. Um, whereas in Canada, uh, uh, people from, I think, uh, some of the uh, Christian churches do tend to be pretty persistent as well. You know, so like they tr- stop you on the road and try to get you to believe in Jesus. And I see. Yeah. I, I'm surprised China's not up there. I mean, isn't it an atheist? Um, no, I mean, communist country. <laughs> there's a. I think that's a misbelief. A lot of people in China are actually Buddhist. It's a. It's a huge. Uh, um, there's a huge part of the population who's that. It, it's just. I think propagating a religious belief on the street is actually banned. You know, it, like it, right. you, you can't really interfere people. You know, on the street, mm. and that's banned. So. Whatever else is banned or not banned, I'm not entirely sure. But nobody really bothers you for for what you do or do not believe in. All right, so freedom of thought here in Taiwan. All right, tell us about the latest with teens and their cell phones. Yeah, get ready to uh, get depressed for for uh, uh, a few for more parents. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so this is the latest survey uh, titled, uh, it's a long one, 2018 Long-Term Observation of Safe Internet Surfing Among Taiwanese Children. Uh, And it is a pretty systematic survey this time. Uh, Over 16,000 teenagers from 190 schools were surveyed. So they've conducted over quite a few months. It's not a short survey by any means. Uh, So it's a a fair survey. A a decent cross-section of the teenage population is covered here including people from over 50 uh, elementary schools, over 30 junior high schools, and you get the idea. So the result comes in, and um, actually more than 85% of the children uh, and youth and teenagers only personal cell phone, and uh, 56% go online without any parental control. Hmm. Actually, 56 is not too bad. It's like a bit more than half. I thought it'd be much more than that, you know. Maybe some parents don't know they can have set the control on, on it. Yeah, there are apps. Yeah, yeah think- do you? Because I, I think I, yeah, I have, yeah, I do. Oh, I, I, I didn't know. But then yeah. again, my kids are all grown up now, so. <laughs> <laughs> Not kids anymore. <laughs> right, right. Around 16% of the respondents said that they started using the internet at the age of nine. Um, as for the reason why they go online, um, around 76% said uh, they uh, are online to watch movies and short videos. Um, 71% said they're there to listen to music, updating and checking social media status, 66%, not surprising. Playing online video games, 65%. These are the top five reasons 
So uh, mm. none of them are too uh, positive the way I see it. Um, but yeah, this is this is what the, the kids kids are up to these days. I can vouch for that. Videos, especially YouTube, yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, it's and movies. A main way of communication around uh, among kids nowadays. I mean, we adults love that too. You know, yeah, watching you, videos. It's their way of entertainment, actually. So and yes. even finding out about the world, their connection to the world. All right. Well, we should put have a little bit of monitoring. You know, if you're a parent, right, of what your kids are watching. Jake, tell us about what's coming up next. These two photographers. Right, we are talking about two、uh, pioneer Taiwanese photographers. One is Zhang Zhaochang, who is—I I did a little research. He's one of the first photographers in Taiwan who did surrealist photography, which was a big deal back in the seventies. And、uh, a second one is Ran Yizhong, who's very influential both here、uh, and in China as a humanitarian photographer. So up next, we're going to hear stories on both of them. Great, and、uh, that'll be it for here in Taiwan.、Um, I'm Natalie So. I'm Shirley Lin, and I'm Jake Chen. Today we are going to look at two modern photography masters coming out of Taiwan, Zhang Zhaotang and Ran Yizhong. We'll start with Zhang. He first picked up a camera and began taking photos while he was in high school. During his university days, he learned from a number of modern art theories and movements, including existentialism, surrealism. And the theater of the absurd, and he began to express his own thoughts through photography. In 1965, when Zhang was 22 years old, he and his mentor Zheng Shangxi collectively held an exhibition at the Rosemary Gallery in Taipei. They also used the term modern photography for the first time in Taiwan. Photographing still subjects head-on with purposefully blurred focus is Zhang's trademark technique. It creates a sense of eeriness and horror, and amplifies the photograph's visual punch. It is as though the subject within the frame becomes a projection of our subconsciousness. During his more than 50-year career, Zhang's works have included photography, documentaries, and feature films. His works reflect the social shifts in the modern era, and they bear witness to history. Zhang was also involved in the planning and editing of a book series titled "Taiwanese Photographers." The series not only plays an important role in passing on knowledge. It also offers inspiration to future photographers. This photo from Taipei Fine Arts Museum's collection is titled "Being Five," part of the "Being" series of photographs that John captured between 1962 and 1970. This photo shows a distant building partially blocked by the shadow of a hand from up close. The juxtaposition of black and white and areas that are in and out of focus creates quite an impact. Let's turn now to Ran Yizhong. He was born in Toucheng Township in Yilan County. Ran is a photographer 
writer, and publisher. He also founded the Ruan Yizhong Humanity Award of Photography. Ruan joined Echo Magazine in 1969, and that is the point at which he got his start in photography. He soon devoted himself to the craft and began to study the culture of photography. Between 1972 and 1987, Ruan published a series of photographs titled "People and the Land" in Renjian Magazine. The photos. Show his personal growth and the changes that took place on the land where he grew up, including the radical shifts in economy, culture, and politics. In 1987, Ruan held a solo exhibition based on the photo series "People and the Land." He also published a compilation of these photos in book form. In 1981. Ran made a career transition and began producing television programs at TTV Cultural Enterprise Limited. He collaborated with Zhang Zhaotang, Chinese documentarian Li Xiang, and cinematographer Christopher Doyle in producing TV documentary series on people's lives in Taiwan. The Taipei Fine Arts Museum has collected several of Ran's photos, including "People and the Land" Li Dao. And people and the land, Xuhai. Ran Yizhong has always focused his lens on the connections between the people of Taiwan and the land they inhabit. He has consciously worked to see and to feel this bond between people and their land, and he expressed that bond within the frames of his photographs. Along the way, his photos became an important part of Taiwan's cultural heritage. This is the one common thread that these two photographers share. They did more than expressing personal aesthetics through photography. More importantly, they recorded many precious moments of the people of Taiwan. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei, the people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Today I talk with prominent Japanese American artist Makoto Fujimura. He is the founder of the International Arts Movement and has three exhibits in Taiwan at the Taipei 101 and the Art True Galleries in Taipei and Tainan. Makoto first shares about one of the special pieces in his exhibit, New Wine. There's one piece which、uh, was a live collaboration、uh, that I did with a musician, a young jazz pianist in Pasadena, in, in my studio in Pasadena, and that piece is called "The New Wine," and it's 
it's a very interesting story. This、uh, young pianist I, I have been encouraging. She's a Japanese young jazz pianist.、Um, was、um, working at a restaurant, and she was asked by the owner of the restaurant to taste this new wine that they they got. And when she tasted it, she heard the sound. And she's she's she was sitting at the piano and she was telling me and she said you know this is the note and this was a very distinct jazz note and I was very intrigued by this because I I grew up in a home where my father、uh, is a research scientist he was an acoustics phonetics research,、uh, pioneer in、um, speech and hearing uh, reproductions uh, research. So I, I always grew up thinking about sound and images together. My father always said that they were connected. And so when Yukari played this note, and she explained that this is a particular jazz chord、um, that is very unique, and I said, "Well, can you improvise off of that?" And she started playing this beautiful melody. I had already been preparing to do a live painting as part of. My session in my studio with invited guests, and so I said, "Well, you gotta can you come tomorrow and we'll paint together with you playing and、uh, me painting." And that was captured、uh, by a documentary team of videographers, and so there's a YouTube of this that anybody can see. But the original painting is here in in Taipei, and I'm very excited to show that to people. The title of the painting is called "New Wine." Wow! And and what is the、um, insight behind that? Well, as with a lot of my paintings, they're they're very intuitive insight,、um, the, rather than let's say a very descriptive one. I'm using minerals,、uh, pulverized minerals, on top of this Japanese handmade paper. Very beautiful paper called Kumohada, and then. There's layers and layers of pigments, and then on top, what you see me doing in this video is I'm using this bamboo tube to sprinkle gold onto the top、um, oh. of the painting, and the camera captures this really、uh, wonderfully. And、um, so there's this、uh, dust of gold going on top of this very dark, beautiful surface with malachite green and azurite blue and cinnabar red. Dripped over it,、um, it's 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 abstract, and yet、um, I think it depicts sound.、Um, and、uh, you will see on the video, Yukari is improvising off of what she sees, and I am responding to her notes. How beautiful! So it's it's a quite、that's, a <laughs> collaboration. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you started the international arts movement, right? Correct. Can you tell、uh, us about that and what? Yeah, it started. That? Right, thank you. It started、uh, almost twenty-five years ago, as I was,、um, as an artist, realizing as a young artist showing in Japan at the time, and realizing that there was this fragmentation in the art world.、Uh, that you, you know, there was there was a sense that. All art, contemporary art, especially, has to create shock and cynicism, or you know, transgress against、um, the past, including religious or any kind of traditional notion of beauty. And I am an artist that values beauty and values 
you know, my my source of inspiration is 17th century art, Japanese art, and um, art of tea, especially Senorikyu's legacy in Japan. So it, it doesn't really make sense for me to not be able to talk about my faith or these things that I value uh, in history. And I realized a lot of artists were kind of hemmed in by, especially in critical circles, to wear a mask of some kind that they, they, they have to create work that is critical of the past, cynical really? of the future. Yes, and, and any kind of conversation about beauty or truth or goodness is is left aside and 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 so I started international arts movement uh, hoping that I'm not the only one who <laughs> cares about uh, you know spiritual values or values that traditionally were affir- affirmed and so so the gathering kind of grew from initial just encouraging each other to not you know limit themselves let's say to the prevailing notion of what art should be but you know explore the fullness of who we are as human beings and being being able to be free to create works that really integrated values in our lives and so that was over 25 years ago it's grown um we have people all over the world today it is truly international arts movement it has um, community chapters in India to Bangladesh to Richmond, Virginia in U.S. to Hong Kong, and and it's it, uh, it it's kind of taken a life of its own. People have really realized that both religious freedom and artistic expression are connected, um, and they have began to um, do works that you know, integrate uh, these inclinations. Well, it's wonderful that you are able to celebrate a beauty, goodness, mm-hmm. um, love, yeah. um, in your work and, and the values, the spiritual values mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. um, believe in. Mm-hmm. And what, you mentioned that a lot of artists uh, mainstream, they feel like they need to be critical and cynical. Right? <laughs> yeah. well, why do you think that's the case? Well, you know, we tend to think of these areas where... You do not have freedom of expression. You know, we, I, we we tend to think of that as certain countries or cultures, but it's everywhere. It, it's in New York. You know, it's it. Um, the New York art world is just just as dictatorial. Let's say. You mean it's very cynical there, though. The, the yeah, culture, yeah. Ba- back then, if you were an artist that valued beauty, um, you you were ostracized. I mean, and marginalized. And when when the nineties, when I I began to show in New York, you could not talk about beauty um, at all. Uh, it was taboo to do so, and everybody knew it. But I kind of didn't care because the materials I use have. They're beautiful. Yeah, partic- <laughs> yeah, particular historical language, right, and a vector mm-hmm. that that really helped to understand Nihonga Japanese style painting is, you know, traditionally it goes back to 15th century or more, but but it really has uh, a life of its own, and and it's a language, uh, visual language, and and it's something that I wanted to honor. So I, I would talk about these things, and I. Back then, it was very transgressive 
to do so. Um, and, you know, I was getting ready to be ostracized for whatever. And uh, this is New York, you know, in the 90s. It's wow. uh, hard to imagine, but it's true. And yet that was the beginning of my journey of really opening up possibilities for other artists, especially young artists, to realize that there are multiple ways that we can create. And uh, especially international artists um, that come from traditions and tribes of, you know, places that value beauty, beauty in a different sense, perhaps, than, you know, a particular understanding of beauty in the West, you know, that that has become a mainstream um, language. And and I'm glad for that. I'm glad to see that happen. Um, I, I always use gold. And, I love your use of gold. Yeah, and gold was so out. Beautiful. Yeah, it was yeah. it was completely taboo in nineties. Really? Uh, yeah, people questioned uh, me and others using materials, um, you know, po- uh, precious minerals, because they said it was a, that's that's a cop out. You know, you you can't use materials that link to the imperialist notion of beauty, and and my argument against that was like, well, I'm not talking about the western notion of beauty this is japanese beauty and mm. uh no that's that's they can really argue cool. against that huh <laughs> yeah yeah it's all true so did you get a lot of criticism in the beginning uh, for being you know well uh, yes i yes i did and um in fact the reason why i was noticed by a critic in new york city uh, uh critic by the na- name of robert kushner who is also a wonderful artist was because I was totally transgressing against no no normal way of talking about art. Um, he he was very impressed that he was a young artist, you know, coming into New York City and articulating things that he's always believed in. Um, he is a patterns and decoration artist, which flows out of pop and uh, you know '60s '70s art and color field paintings and he he's always felt that the art world is tilted and biased uh, very unfairly to those who value beauty he organized an exhibit called beauty without regret uh, in santa fe and included me in it um, which was kind of a breakthrough for me as a young artist and uh, he wrote this uh, wonderful review in Art in America uh, journal, and he uh, just commended how my work has integrated this traditional sense of beauty, but brings it into a new realm. And and that was quite an encouragement because I I didn't hear or see too many people articulating that. Well, it's wonderful that you. You have the courage, right, to um, to express what you believe is a beautiful. Yeah, artist. well, I, you know, artist has to be courageous. I, I, I think that's one of the virtues of creating anything new. Any, any time you create, um, you're you're being courageous, and so that, you know, that is not one thing that international arts movement is designed to do is to encourage, you know, is to give courage to people uh, to be themselves, um, to create works, enduring works, hopefully, that speaks into the divide and this fragmented, you know, 
polarization that is happening in culture um, and polarization. Um, so I have always tried to encourage young, young artists, especially to be themselves, you know, and not, not to wear a mask. That's wonderful. Tell us also about your concept of culture care. I know you right. wrote a book about that, and there's something that you right. um, speak about and, and encourage yeah, people. It flows out of that concern for integrity and culture, and especially in America where culture wars is so mainstream and prevalent, that's, that, that seems to be the only way to uh, you know, understand culture in America is to take an ideological position and and see the the other side as the your enemy and you know you're fighting over ever shrinking territories of culture and you're throwing darts at the other side and demonizing the other side and and that has created this huge schism in culture where um people are having trouble speaking to each other about deeper issues that they they really care about um and created this political divide that um you know our current president <laughs> took full advantage of as as a communicator um and um uh, cre- created a stir um and no one wins in culture wars everybody loses and um you end up shooting yourself in the foot because the very thing that you are trying to defend become you know every time you you uh, initiate this war, you lose territory. That is prominent Japanese-American artist Makoto Fujimura, the founder of the international arts movement. Makoto has been invited to exhibit at the Taipei 101 and also in the Art True Galleries in Taipei and Tainan. We speak with him more next week. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Where's my sun? Where's my moon? And how did I get back here so soon? And where the hell am I anyway? Welcome to Live from Taipei. I'm Charlie Storer. Last week, on October the 25th, we held our most recent Story Slam event at the Sappho Live Jazz Club here in Taipei. It was an exciting occasion with two spots up for grabs in next month's Grand Slam final, which meant a few new storytellers taking up the mic. The theme for the month, as voted for by members of our Facebook group, was Where the Hell Am I? The first story we'll bring you from the evening concerns a place called Zhonghe. Now, Zhonghe is a district of New Taipei City and is probably my least favourite place in Taiwan. It's where I have to go to take care of immigration paperwork and despite it being no more than two kilometres from my house, it always takes an hour to get to where I need to go. Buses take tortuously circuitous routes, sidewalks are blocked, and intersections are all but uncrossable. It is an article of faith among those who ever have to go to Zhonghe that nothing good happens in Zhonghe, as today's storyteller, Michael Garber from Pittsburgh, USA, can testify. This evening, please very welcome my very, very good friend, Mr. Michael Garber. Thank you very much.
very much, Amber, for uh, starting us off with uh, such a hard act to follow. I erroneously assumed that if I went second, it would be a little bit easier on me. Um, well, uh, today I do want to uh, tell you all a story about uh, the feeling of where the hell am I in the geographic sense. Uh, and the moral of the story, which I'll just telegraph to the front, is never go to Zhonghe. <laughs> So about a month ago, um, it was the Zhongqiujie uh, holiday, and uh, 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 most of us, uh, several friends, uh, we all rent a house in Fulong together, uh, which we use as a safe place for our binge drinking. And um, it has all the accoutrements that uh, a house requires, you know, your appliances, and over the past year, each one of them, the water heater, the uh, stove, the, uh, you know, uh, everything is broken at least once. It's just a, a fact of life uh, when you're living in such a high saline environment. And so it was the turn of our washing machine in this instance. Uh, so if you're in the city, repairing a washing machine is not a big deal. Uh, you just have to get a guy to come over. But if you're living on the East Coast, it might as well be like trying to, you know, have uh, home delivery open heart surgery. It just can't be done. So uh, all I had to do was execute the simple task of returning this machine to Xiamenjie uh, get it repaired, and then bring it back. Uh, any other person who tried to do something like this probably would have had no difficulty whatsoever, but I have a special talent to make an easy task into an impossibly uh, difficult one and then multiply the trouble uh, by many, many times. So uh, the first part was fine. I had rented a car for the weekend and got the uh, machine back to Xiamenjie, dropped it on the sidewalk, and left a note in my squirrely Chinese uh, just asking the boss to fix it. And the next morning, I got a call from him saying, it's already done. You can come back and pick it up. Uh, now, if anybody's ever had to move anything in the uh, city or anywhere in Taiwan, uh, you know that there's only one way to go, and that's to rent a blue truck. So I went to the blue truck place. And these places are, if you have a driver's license and a face, you're qualified. You know, uh, They only need a 1,000 NT deposit, because I assume the truck is worth about 2,000. And I go down to Xiamenjie uh, and I pick up the washer and all I've got to do now is uh, drive back to Fulong the way that I know how to go. I'm not usually a car driver so to me the highways are kind of a, a mystery and uh, I'm thinking that uh, while I'm on the way and I've got this truck you know, at my disposal I'll just go to RT Mart in Nehu and I'm going to pick up a form-fitting plastic cover that's going to go over the washing machine and protect it from the saline air of the ocean. Uh, because right now we have a large blue plastic tarp that uh, does cover the thing, but it also makes a perfect habitat for cobras to lay eggs in. Yeah, so uh, I've been meaning to try to replace it with something that offers a little bit less shelter to reptiles. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'll just swing by the RT Mart and then I'll be on my way. Uh, no problem. And the guy said, you don't need to go all the way to uh, Nehu. It's so far from here you're, when you're so close to Zhonghe. <laughs> and I thought, in my experience, I've never... Uh, left Zhonghe uh, of my own accord at a timely fashion, uh, but on the other hand, this guy does nothing all day except fix washing machines, and he probably has to go to Zhonghe all the time for parts. So I guess I'll just take his advice, because I always assume that I'm the person in the room who knows the least, uh, although you wouldn't know that from listening to me. Uh, so I take his advice and go to Zhonghe, and there's a time component to this story, because I need to get the truck back to the guy that gave it to me before 9 p.m. And I instantly wasted an hour and a half of that, uh, just going in a circle in Zhonghe, trying to find the RT Mart. And then when I did find the RT Mart, uh, not, it didn't have an above-ground parking lot. It was an underground structure um, that wouldn't have factored into the story, except that when I was driving into the structure, I heard a loud clang. 
And I thought, what's that? This old truck makes a lot of noise. And I was, went down three floors in the corkscrew entrance and uh, was about to enter into the uh, parking area when there was a much louder clang and I almost chipped my tooth on the uh, steering wheel because I had lodged the vehicle under the rolling metal security gate. Then the uh, cars that were trying to enter behind me, which, you know, the first of which was a very snooty BMW driver who thought that he could somehow free my vehicle by using his horn, uh, uh, obviously were losing their patience. Uh, so I did uh, the only reasonable thing, which was to kick the thing into reverse and stomp on the gas and back directly into RT Mart's air conditioning unit. Uh, so now at this point, I've uh, committed uh, a fair amount of property damage, and being an American, I'm thinking like, oh man, are they going to sue me? Are they going to call the cops? Do I need a lawyer? You know, what do I need to do? Uh, but I've got something better than a lawyer, which is my oldest friend in Taiwan, TK. And he's also much more versed in the ways of uh, uh, steel and industrial uh, repair items than I am. And he came over, he did some negotiation in Chinese, and uh, managed to get me out of there. Uh, without having to uh, forgo too much uh, responsibility at the time. Uh, in the end, that would be a 7,000 NT link of the gate. Uh, at that point, it was now about 7 p.m. I still had to get the machine back uh, to Fulong, so I gunned it out there on wet roads, more or less kicked the machine out, through my, which I still made time to buy the uh, form-fitting plastic tarp, so I threw that on top of it as well, because I mean, if I'm gonna crash into the gate at RT Mart, I might as well get what I was going there for. Uh, and then I had to call the uh, guy that gave me the uh, blue truck and ask him just to wait a couple of minutes, don't, sh don't close the shop, because um, on top of all of this, I don't wanna rent this thing for another night, and I've got nowhere to park it either, so I don't know where that's gonna go. Uh, and so he waits for me, and I'm just thinking like, okay, if I can get this thing in, and then maybe he won't notice the slight damage to most of the front of the tarpaulin on the top of the thing, then I can just get away and this won't be, they'll just include it in the general damage. But the man is waiting for me in the, the parking lot as I pull in and he instantly says, what the hell did you do to the truck? And so then the negotiations began and I said, oh, it's, it's not so bad. It's just a little bent here and 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 here. And the tarpaulin's just a little ripped here and here and here and here and here and here. And he said, uh, well, you know, I think that you ought to give me uh, 3,500 NT. And I said, nonsense. My friend says that I can get this done for 2,500 NT. He's like, oh, really? If he knows, then you should definitely take it there. I was like, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, we settled on 3,000. And uh, then I left, the, I left the joint. And I got to inform my roommates that, good news, I fixed our washing machine. Uh, it just cost us 13,000 NT. Oh, I guess I missed the, the theme of the night, which was, where the hell am I? But believe me, that's what was going through my mind while I was lodged under the security gate and three floors below ground of the RT Mart in Jongha. Thank you. You keep it going for Michael, everybody. Thank you very much, Michael. I should, uh, I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, that I am one of those roommates at the beach house in Fulong, and so I myself have had to pay a tidy 2,000 NT for the benefit of uh, that experience and that story, because apparently when Michael crashed into the security gate, that was also our fault as well. So <laughs> thank you for that, Michael. And where the hell am I anyway? 
Michael Garber told his story of Where the Hell Am I at the Sappho Live Jazz Club in Taipei on October the 25th, 2018. Visit RTI at english.rti.org.tw Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. National Taiwan University Emeritus Professor Hu Fuo passed away in mid-September. He was 86. The liberal-minded scholar was best known for his research on the Constitution of the Republic of China, and most importantly, for laying the foundations of the quantitative study of political science in Taiwan, a method he introduced from the U.S. in 1970. But who was no ordinary professor? Under the KMT's one-party rule, he and three other intellectuals established the Taipei Society in 1989 and the organization was strongly critical of the government. Hu never bowed to pressure. He refused to toe the line and stood firm on his belief that the spirit of the Constitution of the Republic of China is a parliamentary system. In fact, Hu played an important role in key moments in Taiwan's democracy, including the lifting of the martial law and the direct legislative elections in the early 1990s. By all accounts, the widely respected intellectual set an unprecedented example in his research and teaching. His warmth, generosity, integrity, and tolerance of differing views explain why he was fondly remembered by his students from across the political spectrum. They include former President Ma ying of the Kuomintang, or KMT, and former Vice President Anel Liu of the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP. In his later years, who was most concerned about cross-strait development. Hu Long held the view that peaceful reunification is in the best interest of people across the Taiwan Strait. And he is concerned that Taiwan's rising assertiveness and China's nationalism could lead to a war if not handled well. In an interview with the Hong Kong media last year, Hu said the reunification of the two sides across the Taiwan Strait will eventually take place, even though the conditions are not ripe yet. Hu also said the call for Taiwan independence has been employed to attract voter support in recent years, whereas discussing reunification with China or asserting Chinese identity has become a taboo. Thank you for listening to our programs here today at Radio Taiwan International. I'm Natalie So, back here with Shirley Lin and Jake Chen. And we're going to leave you with one more thing. Well, recently, BBC did a report about Taiwan describing us as the most polite country in the world um, and the one that likes to apologize a lot. 
So, well, actually, it all revolves around one phrase, which in Chinese is 不好意思, mm. and it can be translated in many ways. Depending on the situation, right? Right. It, can, right. it kind of means excuse me. You can say, uh-huh. you know, when you bump into somebody or when you want to interrupt somebody. Mm. You can also use it uh, as a way of saying sorry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it could literally be translated into uh, I'm slightly embarrassed when something didn't really turn out well and you feel like it's your fault. Oh, that's true. It's, it's a very Taiwanese, or I even say Asian mentality of, of proactively apologizing for situations. It's kind of like smoothing over things, right? Yes, yes. Making things peaceful. Right. <laughs> harmonious. Peace, peace. Yeah, I mean, a, a group harmonious mentality is huge sort of in, in the culture here. Uh, and I think in Asia in general, the the the, the number of 不好意思, I think the only country that probably uh, you know has something to say against us being the most polite country here is is probably Japan. They might, they, I think they're more polite than we are. Who, yeah, I mean we're pretty polite, but I yeah. think we learned it from them. I mean, this article actually talks about um, because of our time being colonized here, Taiwan by Japan, For 50 and they years, have yeah. what sumimase, sumimasen. I say yeah, sumimasen, yeah. sumimasen. Or so, another way is like gomenasai. Oh, and what does that They're mean in ones. Japanese? They all mean sorry. They all mean sorry. Yeah, and well, how does it? How is it like, used? You, know, you bumped into somebody. Okay. Okay. How, yeah. Otherwise, and, uh, or you want to interrupt somebody? It's like the similar. With Very similar to bahau isu. Yeah, isu, right? Very similar. Yeah. And do they say use it for sorry? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's very yeah. similar then, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we learned it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know how Japanese people like to bow a lot, right? I know. Mm. I don't bow like everything. that. I mean, that seems a little bit too polite or a little bit too formal for me. Yeah. I, like It's almost at a point of demoralizing, you know, like it's a tiny, tiny discomfort. You don't have to apologize that much. That's what I feel all the time. Right. So, yeah. I, you know, I also felt that um, women tend to apologize more than men too. In Taiwan? Mm. Yeah, in general. Or in general? Yeah, mm. like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, for little things or big you know, things. Sometimes we have, we're a little bit too nice or something, or mm. too yeah. easily to blame I, ourselves. Like. I agree. We have, we, have, um, we have more soft hearts than... <laughs> <laughs> we're more humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the BBC said that, you know, sometimes when you ride the subway, you might hear a lot of 不好意思 when people are bumping into each other. Because that's where people constantly bump into each other. You can't help it, right? With such a right. large amount of traffic. Or you know, you know, it's a way to like um, get people's defensives down. Like uh-huh. you say, "I'm sorry to bother you, but that something makes like sense, that, yeah. right?" I agree. Yeah, it's like a way to start off if you're trying to be polite, right? You know, like, kind of um, like excuse me. Do you guys think this is good though? I grew up mostly in the Western culture, and and comparatively speaking, it's I mean, it's it's nice to see people being nicer in general. I think that definitely makes a lot of things smoother, you know, on on an interactive level. But to to overly apologize, and I think people do sometimes here, that that gets to be demoralizing once in a while, and there's a line to be told somewhere. I guess. Yeah, I think it, people shouldn't feel too bad all the time. Right. Mm. They shouldn't ap- yeah. feel, feel like guilty. Too, yeah, guilty all the time. Yeah, when it really isn't your fault, don't apologize. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta remember that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think people all should also should tell it like it is sometimes be a little bit more straightforward and upfront I agree right I mean I think Asians tend just to hide their feelings and just be so polite but then when you want to do that don't you proceed with saying like you know you know a polite way of starting it because yeah, I, mean, I think you should you them? should you should prepare the speaker like um, do you mind if I tell you something yeah uh, what's on my mind uh, you know, I mean you, you can don't pref- you can mind. preface it right, right? right, right. Yeah. Or you can say I'm sorry but <laughs> 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 good way to start. that's a good one yeah 
Anyways, so that's a little bit about our country here, Taiwan, and our culture. Very polite. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're sorry. We're not sorry. We're <laughs> thankful <laughs> that you joined us today. And we hope you'll join us tomorrow. I'm Natalie So. Thanks again for joining us on Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.